Today, I'm talking to Yang Su Chang. He's the host of the First Class Founders podcast. He is a pet influencer, runs a logistics company, an e-commerce business, all kinds of things. He is a serial entrepreneur. I talked to Yang Su about how to juggle these things, when to hire people, whom to hire, where to hire, and how to deal with giving up your business into the hands of somebody else. This episode is sponsored by Acquire.com. More on that later. Now, here's Yang Su. Welcome to the show. I would really like to know one particular thing. What is a personal holding company? Because I've seen you talk about this and it's in your Twitter bio and all over the place, really. And I've never seen that particular phrase used. And you seem to have made it a thing. So what is a personal holding company? Yeah. So, you know, this, this is a, this concept is a, it's one that's really taken off recently. And, um, you know, what's funny, Arvid, is, um, you know, I feel like I've been doing it for the past eight years and I didn't even know what it was. Right. And so, um, really what it in its core essence is, is like you're turning your hobbies that you have into businesses. And because we live in a time when technology is advanced, there's AI now and like literally you can run multiple projects at the same time. What you can do now is, you know, instead of just focusing on one thing for 10 years, you know, typical VC style startup where you 100 hour weeks, one thing, you know, hopefully you win, probably you won't. And then you get really stressed and then you probably don't make anything. And then you're just like, what did I do that for? Right. Instead of doing that, you, you essentially you, um, you just work on your passions and then you work on another passion. And then you have this thing where all of a sudden you have a bunch of projects that you're working on that you're all passionate about because they're all based on your interests right and so um so that's kind of uh turning hobbies into businesses turning cost centers personal cost centers into businesses and then having you as the you know founder slash creator you know as the distribution mechanism where your personal brand is actually you know what's kind of the the glue between all these projects where you can be like hey I love French Bulldogs. I have a French Bulldog shop. Hey, I love pocket knives. I have a pocket knife shop. Like it all kind of ties together because of who you are and what your audience knows you by. And so that's really in a nutshell what a personal holding company is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That, that sounds like, it sounds like, like a lot of fun, obviously, because all these little things that you already enjoy, you know, get to build something out of that. We, we should maybe talk about this whole, um, I've, I've heard this a couple of times where people said, don't turn your passions into your job. I, I, this is a, a very reductive way of, th- of thinking about this, obviously, because job is something else than a business and a passion is something else than a hobby. But h- how do you deal with the fact that this might turn something that you innately enjoy into something that you might go to in the morning and you're like, I don't want to spend another day doing this. Like, how, how can you prevent that in, in the, the grand scheme of the personal holding company? You know, this is a great question. And, and really, if you dig down into it, um, for me, it never feels like work. So when I'm doing something, if you do things right, it, no, nothing you do in your day-to-day life should feel like work, which I know sounds crazy. Um, but if you really think, if you really enjoy something and you're in flow for three, four, five hours a day, you get out of flow and you're like, wow, did I just spend five hours doing this thing? And like, that's how it should feel, right? And so obviously there are things where, you know, you got to do your finances, accounting, like things that you don't necessarily enjoy, like that comes with the territory of running a business. But generally, 
if you really enjoy what you do, then it shouldn't feel like work and you should feel like you're quote unquote retired this entire time. And that's really what you're trying to uh, achieve, attain. It's kind of like um, you reach nirvana when you hit this level where work is play and play is work. And um, at, at times, I mean, that, you know, you're evolving as a person. So like my hobbies today may not be the same hobbies I have two years, three years, five years down the line. And that's okay. Because then at that point, you can decide to, hey, I'm done with this project or whatever and start something new, um, you know, or put into put an operator in place there and then you work on something else. So it's like, it's not a fixed thing where you're, you're sticking with one thing and then you get bored of it and you're like, oh man, like, what do I do with this thing now? Like, no, it's flexible. Like, you know, it's your life and you can do whatever you want. So that's kind of um, to answer that question, yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. And, and since you've done this for like eight years, I, I guess plus, right? There's a pr probably a, a, a version of this that happened before. Have you encountered those moments where you were just like, okay, I'm done with this operator, find somebody else, deal with this? Like, how have you dealt with those moments in your own life? Yeah. You know, every three, four years, I have one of these moments. And, um, you know, so 2015 is when I launched my first business. It was, it's a pocket knife business selling flashlights, um, bottle openers. It's called Urban EDC. And essentially, um, you know, I was really into that back then. Um, and then, you know, three, four years later, I put an operator into place and, um, you know, it's it's running. Um, obviously, it doesn't come with its challenges. For example, uh, my operator that I had in place for, what, three, four years left last year. And so I had to train up a new operator. Um, and so, you know, it's not like a set it and forget it. Like that is not what I'm saying by any means. Um, but what, I guess what I am saying is, um, you know, your interests evolve. And so, you know, three, four years later, we, you know, we brought home a French bulldog named Humphrey. He has a huge personality. He's, he's so, he's so cute. And like, you know, he's he just got a lot of followers on Instagram and, uh, my wife and I were running the account and, um, you know, ultimately we, um, started a, an e-commerce e business selling, um, French bulldog accessories, toys, treats, harnesses, and like, the French Bulldog community is so passionate about French Bulldogs that, you know, we were able to make a business out of it. Um, and the best thing is we can also travel and like we get a lot of sponsorship deals from five star hotels and they'll pay us to come up there. We stay there for free, eat all amazing food and all that stuff. Uh, and so like that's like part of my life, too. Like I have one side, which is like, you know, I love this gear stuff. And then French Bulldogs, I love spending time with my dogs. And so they're all like part of this business now. Um, and then. Yeah, and then uh, we actually started a um, a 3PL business also. So 3PL uh, is third-party logistics. So we ship out products for other e-commerce brands. And this happened very naturally because, you know, we, we had inventory we were shipping out and we had a lot of issues with our fulfillment center. So uh, we started this business. Uh, and um, yeah, that, so that was our third venture. And then finally, and the most recent one is my podcast and newsletter, which is First oh Class Founders. <laughs> you don't stop, do you? <laughs> That's awesome. It's a lot, uh, for sure. Oh man, First Class Founders is awesome. And I, I do want to talk a lot about this, like being a podcaster myself and having been on that wonderful podcast and probably one of the best produced episodes that I was ever in. So still, like, and, and again, thank you for that. It's it's spectacular. But I, I, I want to talk about this later. What I want to get back to is the fact that you just mentioned four very, very distinct and different things. And you're one person, right? You are, you, you only have 24 hours in a day. Most of us have already trouble assigning 
their one thing that they do at some point during their day because they're just busy with you know family and jobs like full-time employment and they want to get out of it or whatever it may be what i what i would like to know is how you segment your time because being a petfluencer requires a very very different mindset probably a much more adorable mindset than an e-commerce owner that sells knives or somebody who regulates logistics how do you jump from these kind of i would almost say internal personas that you need to be for each of these businesses Mm. So I, I think at, at my core, I am just who I am. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, I want to come out, come off as being authentic. So I don't want to change that because like I said, in a personal hold co, you are the distribution channel, right. the glue that, that uh, has all these connected together. Right. Um, so I don't want to compromise that. Um, at the same time, obviously, like, you know, and you probably know too, when, when you're, when you're on a podcast, um, you kind of have to bring some energy, right? So like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. to be honest, like, um, you know, when I'm just hanging out with, with my wife, like, you know, I'll talk a little, just more like this, like when I'm, I'm pretty chill like this, but then when I'm on a podcast, yeah. Oh yeah. That's like, <laughs> exactly. Like this is, this is how I talk. Right. But then when I'm on a podcast, like talking to you, I'm like more energetic. I'm like more enthusiastic. And so I wouldn't say that's, I'm not being, I, I, you know, I'm not being authentic. It's just more like, you gotta just have a little bit of um know the audience, know what goes behind it, and just be prepared for that. Okay. Yeah, so it's a facet. It's not a persona. It's just like a, a, you, you turn off one knob. Like you're on, on your mixing station, you just like crank up the yes. volume a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That, ma- that makes perfect sense. I think that's how we generally are as people, right? With some people, particularly with family, we have this kind of learned behavior, a learned volume, a learned kind of intensity that we know works with them. And then with other people, with our friends, we may be more open or even more chill. Right? It's, it's, it feels it's, it's very similar for me too. Like when I am in public, like what right now, right? I have more energy and then, then when I'm just sitting in front of my computer, right, when I'm coding, I'm, I'm very stoic when it comes to that. But I, I wouldn't yell at my screen or at myself during that because I, I need to, you know, have the brainwaves aligned. But in a, in a public setting, very different story. So still myself, like you said, it's, it's the uncompromised self, just in a, in a, from a different side, maybe a different angle. That makes sense. And, that also is the only explanation that that fits here, really, right? If you are the person running all these things, you cannot be different to each of these. You can you you have to be like the core of it. And in a way, I guess as an entrepreneur, these are all businesses in the end, right? They all are hopefully profitable endeavors. So there is a common ground there. That is really cool. It, it's it's just um, it, it's bizarre to me that. Uh, you you can be a pet influencer and a logistics operator at the same time, you know. As as much as it's obvious that you do this, I find this uh, these these are very different things. How do you approach building teams around this? Is is your team also the same, or do you have distinct teams for distinct businesses? So great great point here. So um, my wife is the one that runs the main um, pet influencer account, and so. Um, obviously we talk about things and, you know, when we, whenever I have, we have brand collaborations, I help out in the background, but like, she's the voice of Humphrey and, and, and all that. And so she's technically the operator behind, um, spotted by Humphrey, which is the e-commerce store for French bulldogs and all that. And then my logistics business also has an operator, um, that I rely on heavily. Like we, we, you know, we sync up on a daily basis, but it's not like I'm in the warehouse doing the actual shipping. I mean, I, I think I would kind of, uh, you know, trying to do everything 
including shipping products out myself. I think I would go a little crazy if I did that. But uh, it's really about finding the best operators for the job, for the role, and really training them and working with them. Um, and I think that the best thing to do when you're trying to work with operators is to really, um, you know, you come last in terms of, you know, you put their needs ahead and, and, and you really step aside and let them do their work. And of course they're going to make mistakes. Like that's kind of the point is, um, you know, they're going to make mistakes and you, you have to make, let them make those mistakes because that's how they learn. Right. It's like, um, teaching kids, you know, that they're, they're going to fall down. They're going to, you know, break a leg. And that's how they learn. It's not like you can, oh, don't do that because you're going to, you know, don't climb that tree because you're going to break an arm. Like, I mean, they're going to want to climb that tree forever if you like prevent that from happening. So it's like, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to let these operators do their thing, learn these, as long as it's not like a company like ending mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, going to say, because, you know, like if you're bootstrapping your businesses and, and that's what you've done, right? Like that's your money in there. Like how do you deal with the fact that that is a substantial amount of money that you own on the line for somebody else to deal with that may not have the same risk profile as you? Yeah. I mean, you got to trust them to a certain point. And, and, and a lot of times I don't think of it as my money. I think of it as just the business's money. And so that helps a little bit in terms of the mentality. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is that risk and you're constantly evaluating the risk reward here with like, um, you know, obviously for big things, they'll check in with me. Hey, you know, I want to buy this machinery. It's like whatever thousands of dollars. Like, why do we need it? I'll, you know, I'll, I'll question, I'll brainstorm with, with the operator, but ultimately we come to the right decision. And another thing is like, you never want to be a dictator type leader where you always want their buy-in. So, you know, I'm never going to say, Hey, this is the way it should be done. I will, what I will say, however, is I will say, um, Hey, so these are the scenarios. This is what's happening. What do you think we should do? Uh, and then we'll talk about it. And ultimately, like, we'll come up to a decision and then they now they're bought in. They're like, okay, yeah, you're like, yeah, this is it. This is the decision that we've made. And that, that approach is way better than trying to force a decision down, down someone else's throat. Right. Yeah, it's it's also good like, building respect with people and giving them the agency to do things on their right. own. Where did you find those wonderful people? Like we all try to to hire the best possible people, but finding an operator that can do what you can do even better, right? So that you are on the same level. How do you find those people? Yeah, this is really challenging, and this honestly is is probably the hardest part about all this. Um, so there's a couple of different methods. One is you can try to build them from, from, um, organically from internal. So for example, um, you know, Urban EDC, one of the operators that, um, we had, um, he was a customer support agent, joined us like five years ago and he continued to work himself up, prove himself to the point where now he knew everything about the business and now he was running the show. Um, so that's an internal promotion. Um, for the logistics business, we had an external, um, hire and, and this is, there's pros and cons to both because, um, the internal one is kind of like, you know, everyone on the team sees that this person is, is doing really well and this rises above the ranks and they have a lot of respect for this person. So there's not a lot of like, I mean, I guess there could be like politics involved, but, um, generally it's less politics than bringing someone external because, the external thing is, is, is very threatening to someone who's been at a company. They've worked really hard. They're hoping to level up, but then this external person comes in and, um, they're threatening. And so like, I've had to deal with a lot of that drama and politics, uh, myself. And, um, 
ultimately the the logistics operator is fantastic and um i had to build around him so actually everyone when i brought him in like everyone that was on the team um you know there were a few that stuck around but then ultimately they all kind of um they fell off and then he's the core now and like we're building around him and so it's you know, it's not easy to find great operators, but it's really more of a, a an art than a science when it comes to that. Um, I think I would say, though, that building a strong personal brand really does help to get, you know, it's a numbers game sometimes where you get a lot of people and then you have to kind of figure out, all right, who, who do I think would be the best for this thing? And then you try it out. Sometimes it doesn't work and then you move on. And like, you know, it's it's a it's not easy, but it it, it can be done. So how many employees into a business do you hire that operator? Because the, the operator replaces you, right? So it, it kind of takes over the team. Do, do you have like, is, is that something that you've that you've just felt for each business and then made that choice? Or do you have like a, maybe even an order of hiring? I was I was at MicroConf last year in, in April and, and Rob Walling was sharing this wonderful talk about um, the order of your first hires for software as a service businesses, right? Depending on if the co-founders are technical or marketing or whatever. And it tends to be like, first you hire another developer and then a customer service agent and then goes on like this. It's just on average, that's how software as a service businesses do it. Your businesses are more in the e-commerce space. So how did you go about that? What order did you hire in and when did you hire your replacement? You know, when I'm thinking about this now, I don't think there is a perfect, like a playbook of like, oh, at this point you hire your operator. I think it's more of a feeling of like, this person is really talented. I'm going to nurture this person and really let them grow. And then let's see how, how they go, right? How they do. So really for me, I'm, I'm always evaluating t- talent all the time. And that's what employee, you know, they, they want that because they want to make sure that there's a path forward for them, right? And so I'm constantly evaluating them. And I'm like, hey, this person's really good. I'm going to continue to challenge them. Let's see if they can get to that next level. Like, I always do that. And so, like, ultimately, you know, you have someone that's rising up through the ranks. And, I mean, you'll you'll know when the time is right. Because they'll be like, hey, like, what else can I do here? Because I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this. And it's like, all right, you're right. Like, this is, you know, you've kind of taken over here. And, like, it just comes naturally. I wouldn't say it's, like, employee number three, employee four, whatever. It just... You'll just know because as you develop employees, they will, you know, it'll just kind of play out naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. It's also nice to see you caring so much about these employees, right? To to already have an eye out for somebody who might be that person in the future. That is really cool. Like from their perspective, if I were to work for you as your, you know, a software developer or something, I would wonder what more could I do to get to that point? That is really nice to, to offer this kind of trajectory. That's cool. I really, really like that. And that, that kind of leads me to, to a, a topic that I often discuss on this show, which is acquisition. Like, would you ever sell any of these businesses? I mean, I could. Um, I think <laughs> well, that's that. I would. I mean, it depends on, I mean, obviously it depends on a lot of factors. Um, but I, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, hobbies and interests change, life circumstances change. And so that's definitely, you know, I'm not married to every single project that I'm, that I'm working on. And so I'm not afraid of selling a business or even shutting it down if it doesn't work out. Like, 
life is a long game and like you have plenty of opportunities and i truly believe that it's really the lessons that you learn that you can take and carry forward and like you can build something way faster because you've compressed that learning time now and so you don't you know it doesn't mean if you close down a project if you close down your company it doesn't mean that you've failed you just you're delaying it right and so um you know yeah i mean i i, I would i'm not against any of those options um and so it's just a matter of timing and, and um you know there's a lot of variables right in, in play there Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, it, it's, it's more really just about the general feeling. Because if you love your employees and you love the thing you do, a lot of people would rather keep doing it. Right. That's right, a, right. a lot of acquisitions are monetarily driven. They are done for just if the financials, because people want to kind of elevate their life to this financial security point of view. If that's not something that you need anymore, or if it's just too interesting for you to keep running it, I can see why, you know, you just wouldn't want to sell it. But yeah, I, I get that. Were you at any point? Um, or did you over your last the decade, the last decade, did you shut down anything or did you give anything up? Let me think about that. Um, before I had Urban EDC, I had a few different smaller things like, um, you know, I was developing an iPhone app. This is back in 2009, 2010. And I ultimately decided to shut that down because it wasn't gaining any traction. Development costs were high. Um, I was outsourcing everything. Um, and you know, I was, it's a first, first time entrepreneur and I was just learning things. Um, decided to shut that down because it wasn't really going anywhere, but I, I always had this knack for trying new things. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of, uh, of shutting things down because, um, I mean, I just feel like it's, it's, it's just one of those things where you will learn from the experience and you will come back stronger than ever. And it's, you know, it's not a failure. It's just more of, um, a delayed gratification. Well, delayed success, I guess is a better way to put it. I mean, ultimately, yeah. hopefully, right. I mean, all, I mean, honestly, like if you learn something from each project you build at some point, chances are the odds are in your favor that you will succeed with one of these, right? So like, yeah, so I think it's more about like taking as many swings as you can, learn from them, but then don't get so um, down on yourself if you m miss like nine of them and you but then you hit one, right? So, well, that's that's just you know the the old rule of either you win or you learn. And kind of I, I always think about my projects like that. Like there's n no loss in trying to do something really interesting that furthers my understanding of stuff. And I, I would assume that over your career starting something new probably has become a little bit easier every time right it's definitely easier and what's funny arvid is that i i now see patterns in business where i can recognize things and be like okay even though it's different like it might be a different market different vertical like SaaS versus e-commerce like but i see it's the same pattern of building and it's the same pattern of like customer retention, like all that is the same. Well, fundamental business is the same, right? And so once you learn the basics, then I feel like, and honestly, part of the reason why I like to do so many different types of things is like, I find them interesting. Like podcasts is very different from e-commerce, but like it's in a way, it's also the same because there's obviously listeners and, you know, get listeners and sponsors, like whatever it is, like that's all fundamentally the same. Um, and so I do, I do, think that you know each thing that you each project you learn from you come back stronger the next time 
you keep going. Ultimately, you'll probably succeed in one of these. Yes. So what what would be like a parallel that you brought with you into the podcast endeavor? What what would be one of these these patterns that you've recognized there that now makes it easier for you to do this? Um, I think the podcasting medium is um is quite interesting. I actually think it's still early in the podcasting world. And um I mean the landscape is changing right now because you I think YouTube is is really forcing people to have a certain type of show which is interesting because you know i mean you've heard my podcast it's a very like produced high production show but it's very difficult to translate that over into youtube whereas um more of the conversational types on youtube very easy to make clips distribute them out and then bring them into your podcast and so i've grapple with this idea like should i just make it more into a simpler conversational style versus should i just make it audio only audio first show and then have you know whatever um youtube stuff underneath it i've grappled with these things um but ultimately you know it's like a distribution channel right so podcasting i think is still early um you know newsletters i think is more mature um for example like you know, now when you sign up for a newsletter, you get those pop-ups. Like, do you want to sign up for these three other newsletters? Like for me, that's a, dis- that's a distribution discovery mechanism. And so newsletters, I feel like is moving towards that interesting, um, interesting inflection point of it's becoming more of a discovery platform. Whereas in, in my, like before it was social media was more discovery platform. And then you go into newsletter and newsletter was not, it was just, you know, you can't get discovered. But I think podcasting, there's still no discovery tool unless you do a direct shout out. Hey, listen to my podcast, you know, on a show. And so, um, I mean, in terms of what I'm learning, growing the podcast, um, you know, it's just a lot more emphasis and importance on distribution and how to get this and how to. Um, you know, get found, how to get other people to talk about you should earn media. Um, obviously, the product has to be really good. The show has to be good. So I've really tried to nail that down also with my high production show. Um, but I'm, what I'm figuring out, though, is that, um, you know, obviously product without a, a great distribution strategy is is no one's going to really know about it. Um, and so it's a really interesting dichotomy here because, um, yeah, it, it's it's I'm learning a lot with this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I I bet. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> On my end, it's the exact same. And I find like being a consumer of podcasts too. And I don't know how many you, you listen to, but I'm constantly walking the dog. I mean, you you have dogs. Like you walk them. You got to listen to something, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we listen to shows that we really enjoy. And I have just observed this in my own consumption. The shows that I really like are audio first. That's something that I've noticed. Like I, I listen to a Star Trek podcast where people just talk about shows from the nineties, like for hours. And I love that because that's what I grew up on, but they don't, they could show them. They could do video, but I, I think they consider themselves too ugly for video or whatever. So they just don't do it. And that creates a better show. That creates better audio quality because people don't really have to look into a camera. They don't have to, you know, have a script or whatever. They, their focus is purely on the quality of the conversation, which for me, that the magic of podcasts is that you are in the brain of the person that is listening to you, right? A video is in front of you, probably speaker somewhere off to the side. A podcast is happening inside your head, which is 
incredible access to somebody's brain, right? So audio first feels like something that I personally also like more than audio second. And community first is something that I've noticed too in podcasts, both the Star Trek show and the Harry Potter show that I listen to. Let's just put all the nerd stuff out here. Both of them have been going for many, many years and have accumulated massive communities of people around them. Like I literally am part of Discord communities where I talk to the other people that listen to the same podcast as I do. Right. The podcast is a conduit. It's not just a piece of content. It's a connector. And that's, that's what I see with, with you over as, as you're growing as well. Like you talk about it in Twitter. People talk about it. People suggest new guests. People tell you how much they learned from this. This is the actual power of the podcast, not just the audio format, but the community, the exploration of it that comes with, with the format. I love that. I love everything you just said i think that's uh that's spot on and i i, I do believe that uh i mean the the video influence right now is really powerful and i and i think that a lot of the artistic part of audio only is actually being washed away because everyone wants to grow 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 and they're going to video because or the conversational style it's easier to just you know these shorts and reels and all that stuff but um, you know, I'm actually curious about how they take this audio first experience and make a video out of it. Like I, I like that's actually the question that I'm always asking is make an amazing audio product and then video will come second and let's see what happens. But um yeah, that's so I'm grappling with this issue like all the time, by the way. Like yeah. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of uh, is the um, the Ricky Gervais show. Have you ever watched this or listened to it? Because I, I think it, it was a, an audio first format where he and Steve Merchant and I think Carl Pilkington were just three dudes sitting and they and both Ricky and Stur- Stephen were making fun of Carl. That was the idea of the show. And Ricky Gervais is a very funny guy. Steve Merchant is a hilariously funny guy. And Carl Pilkington is just oblivious to stuff. It is very funny to watch. But to watch because... It was an audio first format. They were just sitting, doing radio effectively. And then they animated over the show. They animated the people as they were talking in, in a studio. It was just an animated radio conversation in front of microphones with little cutscenes to where they are in the street telling a story or something. That remind, is, is what this reminds me of. Like audio first and then video as kind of an accessory, but not the core of the format. There's another show on Netflix called uh, Midnight Gospel, mm. and uh, this one also does that, where it's a con- it's a spiritual, more of a spiritual sh- conversation yeah. about like Buddhism and spirituality. And, yes, um, it, it gets a- pretty weird, right? Get- oh, you've seen it, yeah. It gets <laughs> yeah, really weird. That. It gets really weird, and um, but it's it's these they they cut up po- you know podcast clips, I guess audio clips. And they, they made them into, uh, you know, a TV series or whatever on Netflix. And it's really well done. It gets really weird, but it's, um, I think that's the point of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, it is because it allows you to just explore things that you couldn't with video, right? Uh, that's uh, in my Star Trek podcast. Let's, let's just go into this. Like they were talking about, uh, I think I, I'm in the backlog somewhere 2018. It's, I, I'm listening to shows that are like five years old at this point because just because I like them so much. And they were talking about what was then announced to be a new Star Trek show. 
and it was supposed to be an animated show and they would just because both both of the both of the guys in there are uh videographers they they work in in video and audio as well they were saying oh this is awesome because if you have an animated budget you can do whatever you want right if you if you have to make a real life movie you need to build like the sets and you need to get the actors and whatever but an animated show you can show whatever you would like. Like it doesn't matter what you draw. It's going to cost the same amount of money. Right. And even if it's like CGI, that, that all is manageable in terms to having like real people do real stuff. So I always feel that is actually more interesting to have a, a non real life thing where I don't need to watch the people. I can watch something that is put on top of it that explores things that a real life show could never ever explore. So maybe we're onto something here. Maybe audio first plus video on top. It's just a way more deep way of exploring topics. If Mid- Midnight uh, did that show, is, is any suggestion, right? Because it I, I agree. I mean, I think that this is the underserved. Um, you know, I, I actually had this. I want to make First Class Founders audio audio first and then video show. But it's, but you know, it's very costly to do. That's the only, that's the downside to it. But it, uh, I, I do think that that's an interesting you know, format of a show for a video format too, you know, cause it's audio first then video. And so that's definitely like, I'm looking for more things like that, but I haven't really found any other shows like that. Yeah. Right. I, I guess you start by doing a really, really good audio show. Like right. Right. I think that, that already is setting the bar fairly high for anybody competing with you in that space. Cause most people don't, right? Most people make a good show, but a really good show that is expensive and it's hard to do. It's hard to stick with. Maybe let's talk about this a little bit. Like, because I, I remember when you, when you had me on the show, you were talking about the, 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 the editor that you hired for that. And it's just how expensive it was. How much did you pay for that? And do you still do this on every single episode? Like how expensive is it? If you want to divulge numbers, obviously, if you can, it's uh, perfectly fine if you want, but you know, I would like to, to learn it. How, how much do you have to pay to make a show that sounds great? Yeah. So right now, um, each episode's roughly probably between $800 to maybe a thousand. Uh, maybe a little, a little higher than that, depending on the level of editing. And so, you know, it's it's a lot of work. For example, um, you know, right after this interview, um, my producer, he has literally went through uh, and, and cut out sound bites from an interview that I had with someone, a guest that I had previously. And he's written me a script of narration that I have to do on top of this, just like I did with your episode, Arvid. And um, I have to record that afterwards. But essentially, like, that's all him. I mean, obviously, I'm going to, I read through the script, make sure that it sounds like me. And, you know, I'm not saying anything that I'm, that I wouldn't normally say. But he and I have worked together now. He knows what I say. And, you know, um, and so it's all there. And so I literally go in there and I record this thing for 30 minutes. I upload it. And he takes it and then he'll do all his work on it. And then he'll come back to me and say, actually, you know, you pronounced this word in a, in, in a way where I can't hear you that very well. Can, can you redo this, please? And so he gives me pickups. So I have like pickups to do. That'll take me like five, 10 minutes. And then I upload that file. And then he works his magic, puts in sound effects, sound design, whatever he wants, edits it all together. And then we're good. So it's like very minimal for me. I'm almost like an actor in his show where he tells me what to do and then I just do it. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And and it just shows you how how much trust 
you have for the people that you work with. Like again, this kind of reminds me so strongly of your operators because effectively that's kind of what he is for you right, in, in right. the podcasting world, right? That is so fun. And it is also nice because it allows you to just be really present in the moment with a person. And you know that if there is ever a need to do anything further, you will have the time and the capacity to do it afterwards. Right. That's the, the problem with conversational shows, just as this one. Like if you don't get to the points that you want to make, you can't, right? Because it's supposed to be a conversation. I can just like act like you saying something or have some AI act like you and say the thing that I want you to say. That's not how it works. So you have to be, really kind of force those points if you want to make them. But with a production like this, this is really cool. I, I really admire this and I admire the fact that you spend money on that. Lots of people wouldn't. This is really cool. I mean, I think that it's it's kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doubling down on the podcast and the newsletter. And now I'm, I'm I want to make sure it's a good product. Right. It's something that um, stands out from 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 the crowd. And to be honest, our, like I feel like your style interviewing, like you're an amazing interviewer, like you get oh, into these you. topics really well. And like, to be honest, like I'm not as I'm not at that level. Like I'm still learning to be a, a better interviewer. And so to be honest, like my producer helps me mask a lot of my like <laughs> mess ups and all that and so it's nice to have someone that's oh you know we'll cut that part out don't worry and then we'll yeah so it's 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 definitely nice to to have an editor shout out to nick who's editing this uh, right now probably and probably cutting this out but yeah that's uh that's really how that works i agree with you it's it's nice to have people that kind of have your back and something that is so front and center you Right. Because this is kind of a personal brand effort. And so is the newsletter where you write, right? It's, it's, it's you as the person, the personal brand. I, I want to, want to ask you about this kind of connection between the podcast and the newsletter, because I myself run a newsletter too and the podcast and they're kind of synergistic. I try to drive people from one to the other. How do you approach this? Like how, what is your flywheel looking like when it comes to these content, uh, media? So th this is a fantastic question and something that I also think about all the time which is um first of all how do i get how do i get listeners because ultimately my podcast is my what i call grail content and what i mean by that is that's where i want the final destination for for my audience to go um that's where it is now i mean it may change in the future maybe i start at youtube and it's like the youtube is the grail content but right now it's the podcast and so how do i get people to listen to the podcast but then ultimately like for someone that's discovering my work for the first time, for me to ask them, hey, can you sit down and listen to 30 minutes of an episode? Like, that is a big ask. And that is not something that people will, will do. And so the, the, the middle way, the middle ground here, almost like a mi middleware for, for this, this uh, is kind of like the newsletter. The newsletter functions as like this like middle, um, you know, operational thing where it gets people to listen to my podcast. And so, um, I treat, so I have my social platforms where I'm writing stuff on, on X, uh, you know, um, social platforms. And then I have newsletters. So I get the people to sign up to the newsletter. And then from the newsletter, I promote the podcast episode. And so that's kind of the funnel that I'm using right now. Um, What's interesting is that, uh, you know, newsletters are very vague in terms of like, you know, what is a newsletter? It's just literally just an email you send out, right? It's email marketing. Content email marketing. Yeah, really. So some people, when they think of a newsletter these days, they think of it as like a long form of text where you're, you're reading everything there. Um, and, and so, but my, but my newsletter is, it's just a short snippet. It's got, you know, 
point and then you say, hey, listen to the episode. Because I want people to listen to the episode. And then I also have a, um, a visual summary of the episode, which they can click on and download. Um, but then it's it's really like, do I want to... I know that, you know, we. I think we talked about this before where you have like your podcast, like almost like typed up on a newsletter and that is the newsletter. And so you're, you're optimizing for the experience of a newsletter reader where they can read through the podcast episode versus having to click and then listen or watch. Right. So that's, I mean, that's, this is a constant um, struggle that I have, which is what do I want? Like, what do I, do I want to have a, a better experience or I don't know. It's like a yeah, better for whom too, right? Like I, I got so many replies when I tried what you were doing with my existing audience of newsletter readers, right? For, for the longest time, I had 2000, 3000 words of an essay every single Friday. And then I just cut it to a couple paragraphs of the essay. And then if you want to read the whole thing, click here. Or if you want to listen to this as a newsletter this, or as a, as a podcast, click here. And people were yelling at me like, man, I really liked it when it was the thing and I could read it in my email. Now I have to click once. Right. People, you know, people will always complain about things changing. So picking one thing and sticking with it feels like the right way to do it. But I, I, I kind of split it up. Like for the interview shows that I do, like this one, I'm, I'm sending out a, a really, really short email, just introducing the guest and saying why they are awesome. Click here, video link, and that's it. That's, I, I sent that in on Wednesdays and my full length newsletter still goes out every Friday where I just talk about whatever I want to talk about. I kind of just tried the best of both worlds approach here, which, it's taxing, I guess, because now they have two emails to read and one maybe for one group in the audience and one for the other. But hey, if it makes everybody happy, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, how do you approach this? Do you have like a, a kind of audience that you want or are you happy with serving everybody in their specific way? One thing that I think about a lot is, is training my newsletter readers. And so I want them to click because uh, that helps with click-through rates and then possibly sponsorships and all that so i have a lot of links in my newsletter where they can click opportunities and so you know if i'm right if i'm talking about an episode i will say oh like i did this episode with arvid yeah oh, and I'll, interesting i'll highlight that this episode is clickable but then I'll, I'll highlight it again later and be like oh we talked about this and then i'll highlight that and then that'll be clickable so i try to get as many clicks as i can i want the newsletter to be clickable so that it drives um, higher click-throughs uh, and that's really attractive for sponsors. And, and so um, behavioral wise, that, that is what I'm trying to optimize for. Um, and what I found is that if it's a newsletter, that's all, uh, it's like a text. Um, it, it's great, but you, it's harder to figure out engagement from that because it's like, okay, someone read it, but then someone could open it, close it. And it's the same metric, which is an open, right? And so I'm always trying to measure something about the, the reader. And I feel like having the clicks, it, it being clickable a lot is something that I'm trying to do, convey behavior-wise, right? Yeah. Yep. That, that makes sense to me. That's that that is unfortunately, I guess, the only metric that advertisers care about or sponsors, because that's where they can build a certain expectation. I've been doing more of this as well. Like just put more links in for the sake of offering people something to, you know, click on. Mostly also because it's an interesting metric and I get to see engagement. But also if I have a newsletter, 
it would be nice for the newsletter to expose them to new things that they haven't visited yet, right? That they haven't seen yet. So having something to click on and explore and go into this, you know, the rabbit hole of exploring a topic, that's something I really enjoy. And I want my, my audience to enjoy that too. You, you, you mentioned that personal brand is at the core of all of this. And I kind of want to close with this because I feel that we, we explored the outer rims, all the different projects and all the, the different stages and the, the different ways of doing this, the different people that are helping you with that. But it all kind of boils down to the, the central personal brand. And that is you. What is more important to you? Building up a personal brand from which these projects spring or is it building these projects? that require a personal brand? I love this question. So I, I mean, the, 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 I guess the, 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 the cheating answer here is that you need both, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, the shortcut <laughs> answer here. Um, the answer I, is yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the answer is always yes to everything. Um, I think the way I, I look at this is, um, you, you know, I, I do think there's something to be said about um, an operator who's just really good at, at building a company and but don't want, don't care to be scrutinized by the public. And they are just building something quietly, but it's killing it because they know all the growth channels to hit and they're getting customers. They don't need to be that big. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a path that a lot of entrepreneurs and founders take, which is they're not public, they're not online, but they're crushing it. I know, I know a lot of founders like this, right? Um, so, I mean, I can't fault them if they can do that. Um, but I don't know, at the same time, I do feel like it's almost like with this new age, social media, you know, being a part of everyone's lives, it, it, it I do think there's a missed opportunity if you are okay with being public online, which a lot of people have opinions on that. Um, then I do think that it, it will help you attract talent. It'll help you um, find investors if you want them. It'll help you find customers. So there is a lot of things that could help. Um, but then at the same time, there's also negatives. So actually, you know, uh, let me, um, I'll talk about this here. Um, I feel like, social media inherently brings out these negative factors for um like for example like like you're building a personal brand and like you get so caught up in like follower count you get caught up in engagement how many people responded to my latest post like i should be responding back to them because it helps with the algorithm like it like really messes with you sometimes because like you know i i um it's almost like i'm doing actions that Hey, this is going to sound really weird, but when I'm doing something, I'm already thinking about the hook for, for a post on X. So I'll be like, Oh, I'm, I'm going through this thing right now. This is going to be an amazing story. I can't wait to write about <laughs> yeah. it. I, I already have the hook in my head. Like, like doing it I, for the gram, right? Isn't that what they call it? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it almost like harmful because inherently social media is very self centered and self driven because you have to yeah and so it's you know i'm grappling with this idea of like okay like i wasn't online i wasn't a public person two years ago i was and i was coming from a very self like selfless i didn't care about any of this but then you know my wife the other day was like questioning me like hey like why do you like i was like i got the perfect tagline for this 
thing that's happening. Like, she's like, why, why, why does that matter? Like, why can't you just like think from a, you know, like, uh, just decide based on how you feel and what you think is the best instead of thinking about the audience and how they would react to your story. And I was like, Oh my God, you're right. Like I'm changing, like I'm changing in a way maybe I don't want to change. And so that's a recent thing that I discovered about myself where I'm like, all right, maybe I should tone down the social media thing because I'm too much in my head about that. Right. Thank you for sharing this. It, it, it resonates with me. Quite a bit, like, like particularly now as I'm building a new software business and I have every opportunity to share every little thing, I often catch myself already, like you said, coming up with a tweet about something that I'm in the middle of and should really pay most of my attention to, <laughs> you know, like it is, it, it, it derails you in a, in a way that might be useful because it does give you more attention and it does give, puts more eyes on the business that you're building. In my case, that is more potential customers, right? That, that is interesting or even more founders giving me their insight if they've built something similar, but it, it kind of, yeah, it, it defiles the, the authentic thing itself in a way, right? It destroys the authenticity there. And I guess that's kind of what we started with when, when I asked you about personas and fragments of your, your own self. Like if you want to be your authentic self, well, then you should protect that from the, being drawn too much into a public space. It's a very interesting observation. So what I hear you say is this is not for everybody. Am I getting this right? <laughs> it's, it's not for everybody. And I, I really thought that, um, I mean, I, I didn't know that I would slowly evolve into that kind of mentality, but I did because I'm like looking for content ideas all the time. And I'm like, I see something and I'm like, oh, that's a great content. I'm going to, I need to write it down so I can have a good hook and like all this. But like, I don't know, like sometimes I, I feel like it's, I'm living in a world where I'm always looking for great content ideas or great hooks. And I, I don't, know if that's a healthy way of doing things because like sometimes i'm literally like deciding what to do if i have two decisions and i decide because i'm like wait this is gonna make for a better story i'm, I'm gonna get this is gonna go this is gonna go viral i'm gonna choose this path instead of this path <laughs> oh, dear boy oh no right and so <laughs> that's why i think it's a dangerous game because yes you you want to pick the path that from an unbiased like for yourself like Pick the path that feels right and good for you instead of picking the path that you think will cause controversy or whatever, like go viral, whatever it is. Like, because I feel like a lot of our behavior now on online is determined by what others think of you. Yeah. And that's well, not, not even good. that, right? What, what the algorithm thinks others might think of you, right? Yeah. There's an abstraction well, in between that as well, which is even worse. Yeah, I, I think like just judging from your most recent tweets and your behavior on on X on Twitter and all that, I think you're on a pretty good path. Like I always really enjoy your work, both the the work that that is kind of more the, the static artifacts, the podcasts that you put out there, and your social media presence. I don't see you as somebody who's just throwing hooks after hooks at people. I think even and, and this is just I, I think the nature of the game of being online, being on a social media platform, you have to make it interesting. Everybody wants to be and make something interesting, but you, you don't cheat. Like you, you literally say 
something meaningful and interesting, you just put a nice little, you know, bonnet on top that people get are attracted to. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But there is a risk. There is a risk of overdoing it. And I'm glad that you're reflecting on this because I don't think everybody does. Many people don't, right? It's a lot of stuff. I think people get carried away with it. And you see, you see people doing crazy stunts trying to get a, like attention, right? And I think that's not the way to live. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. And I'm I'm glad you're you're not chasing virality this much. So if somebody would like to see you not go viral, <laughs> where would they go? If you want to see my really boring content, <laughs> <laughs> um First Class Founders is the podcast, firstclassfounders.com. Um there's a newsletter there. Um also and I'm pretty active on X slash Twitter at Yong Su Chung. So you can find me there as well. That is a good order of things. I, I, your, news, uh, your newsletter and your podcast are things that I consume, and I really, really enjoy them. And the, the podcast is spectacular. I also, uh, every single week, I, I get like a, a little notification email from Podchaser or something that you, you released a new episode, and I'm all excited. I guess it's always really, really cool to see your content and the guests you have on. You, you have wonderful people telling wonderful stories, sharing very interesting observations and really helpful things. So let me do some some advertising for your podcast here. It's really, really cool. Yangsu, thank you so much for being on the show. That was a spectacular conversation. Thanks for sharing everything that you have shared. And thanks for just sharing it as you do it online. I really appreciate that. Arvid, this has been an awesome conversation. Honestly, I feel like I learned something new things about myself during this uh-huh. conversation. Awesome. And, and I feel like that's, you know, that's always a plus. So well, worth it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. Thanks, Arvid. And that's it for today. I will now briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com. Imagine this. You're a founder who's built a really solid SaaS product. You acquired all those customers and everything is generating really consistent monthly recurring revenue. That's the dream of every SaaS founder, right? Problem is, you're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's lack of skill or lack of focus or applying lack of interest. You don't know. You just feel stuck in your business with your business. What should you do? Well, the story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down, you reignited the fire, and you started working on the business, not just in the business. And all those things you did, like audience building and marketing and sales and outreach, they really helped you to go down this road, six months down the road, making all that money. You tripled your revenue and you have this hyper successful business. That is the dream. The reality, unfortunately, is not as simple as this. And the situation that you might find yourself in is looking different for every single founder who's facing this crossroad. This problem is common, but it looks different every time. But what doesn't look different every time is the story that here just ends up being one of inaction and stagnation because the business becomes less and less valuable over time and then eventually completely worthless if you don't do anything. So if you find yourself here, Already at this point, or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option, and that is selling your business on acquire.com. Because you capitalizing on the value of your time today is a pretty smart move. It's certainly better than not doing anything. And acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. Just go check it out at try.acquire.com slash Arvid, me, and see for yourself if this is the right option for you, your business at this time. You might just want to wait a bit and see If it works out half a year from now or a year from now, just check it out. It's always good to be in the know.
Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder today. I really appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-A-D-K-A-H-L. And you find my books and my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me and this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, whatever that might be. Do let me know. It would be interesting to see. And leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It really makes a big difference if you show up there because then this podcast shows up in other people's feeds. And that's, I think, where we all would like it to be, just helping other people learn and see and understand new things. Any of this will help the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.